0: So last week I shared a little bit around polyvagal theory and how one of its core principles is the importance for human well-being of connection. And there are four primary ways that's important for us to cultivate our sense of connectivity. Uh, The first is connection with self, The second connection with others, the third connection with the world, and the fourth connection with spirit. And so we started actually with that fourth one, looking at how do we connect with spirit? How do we think about that in our own lives? What kind of baggage might we be carrying around the idea of spirituality What kind of openings do we have? And actually, I want to continue with that this week and look at it this time through the lens of how do you integrate it in your mindfulness practice, your sense of spirituality, however that word, in whatever way that word has meaning and opening for you. And the place I want to look at it is through the lens of prayer. As far as I'm aware, every spiritual tradition where humans have been involved since we have been drawing inside caves has involved some form of prayer. It seems like it's part of our nature uh, and has been, uh, in every religious tradition I know of, a very important piece of uh, practice of worship. Prayer has many, many different ways of being understood and related to. And one way, the way that I grew up with in my home tradition, uh, knew about most was prayer as petition, as an ask. And that's actually the, the root. I like etymology. Uh, so I look up these words, and uh, sometimes I find the root is like, oh, yeah, that, that like helps my relation. The etymology of the word prayer is to ask, is to petition, to make a request. Um, the roots are very much in that vein. And that is, that is the primary form that was part of my home tradition as a child growing up. And it wasn't just the ask, it was um, very much um, rotely memorized words that I could perfectly recite while my mind was totally occupied somewhere else. <laughs> and there was a lot of ask in those words. And sometimes the words were deeply beautiful. And some of those words I still remember, and they still spontaneously come up for me in times that I really appreciate that. Sometimes those words pretty much by middle school, I was going, huh, what? And I'm still saying this? (laughs) Um, So I had a sort of mixed relationship with the words I was learning and the form of prayer I was learning in my home tradition. And my disagreement, I have to say, kind of came to a head on 10th grade. I even remember when it happened uh, in a youth group when the youth minister was leading a session uh, around prayer. And her way of talking about it was, um, if you put your heart right and you ask well, you will receive. And her evidence of this works was one time when she was young, she had wanted a red bicycle for Christmas. And she had put her heart right and she had asked well, and she got a red bicycle for Christmas.
1: (sighs) Oh, you know, the pain
0: in this world, there is, I can't help but see a harm. In that kind of understanding of prayer. Like, if I ask God right, I'm going to be the special chosen one that He will give me a red bicycle. And that kid across town who didn't get it wasn't chosen. Is that what we're supposed to believe? The misguided understanding of wealth, of privilege that can be manipulated in religious terms is painful. Just painful. So that form of prayer for me is not useful. I say that with a caveat. Uh, of um, somebody last night shared an example that reminded me of when I was with Mother Teresa's sisters, they did have that kind of prayer in a way that was just practical and, like, beautiful. And the example that I always remember is one time I walked into um, Caligat, um the place I volunteered uh, the most, and it was run by Sister Luke, who was this just beautiful army general (laughs) Uh, the way she ran that place and she she had she had you know I'd walk in Lindsay go do this you know it's like okay I will (laughs) and and she had that place down and and it was business and one day I walked in and she had this like giant smile on her face and she said Lindsay today we are gonna celebrate the volunteers and have a special mass just for the volunteers, and then we're going to have a party. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds wonderful. And so I walked away, and it's going to be at 10, 10 a.m., so at 10 a.m. you are to come. So I walked away, and another volunteer who had just heard um, her tell me that, she looked at me and she said, you know she has no food for the party, and you know she has no priest for the mass, right? <laughs> like, oh, no. But at 10 a.m., We were going to have this. So 9:45, a wealthy Indian woman walked in with platters of party food from her party the night before uh, that were left over that she wanted to donate. Sister Luke looked at her and said, It's about time. (laughs) They go over there. And then at 9:55, two Italian priests, tourists, walked in just to see what the place looked like. And she looked at them and said, you are cutting it close. Get your, fro- your frocks on, mass starts in five minutes. <laughs> and we had mass and a party. And you know, I don't know how to make heads or tails of that. I saw that kind of thing a lot. And the only way I know I can put it into kind of a perspective was and, I, and I, this feels like shaky ground, and so I'm not going to hold to this, but um, that there's a way we can get in a flow of energy, an attunement of energy that does allow openings. I don't know. You got me. But there's a whole nother meaning of prayer that has always deeply spoken to me. And it's not so much the
1: ask. This for me is more along
0: that line of an attunement to flow. Devotional prayer. The word devotion, I looked that one up too. Devotion uh, in its deepest roots points to an inward act, state, or feeling traditionally linked to profound religious emotion, awe, and wonder. I certainly felt that with those missionaries of charity all the time, um, with those sisters. You could feel their devotion in action uh, you could, you could feel being a part of a flow of energy that was meaningful and prayerful as they did their work. And not always, you know, sometimes they were they were not in that pl- place, but many, many times you could feel it. And it's lovely that in that word devotion, the deepest root of that word is vow. It's a commitment. And for me, my understanding, and I invite you to figure out, you know, your relationship with these words, where are they useful, what would they mean for you? But for me, that vow is a commitment to opening my eyes to the sacred around me, always, in everything. This use of the word prayer has has always been a home a relief, a refuge. And when I fall into places where I meet this, there's something that just naturally inside of me resonates. Like for example, uh, the poem The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. From the first time I read that poem, the one line in it, I don't know what a prayer is, but I do know how to pay attention. That has stayed with me. There was a little um, snippet of conversation between Mother Teresa and a reporter that I read a long time ago that also has always stayed with me. I went back to try to find um, the original source that couldn't find it, Uh, but what (laughs) But now it's interesting, somebody, Diane, you were naming Hidden Brain and False Memories. Who knows? I don't know what the original source of this is, but now if you Google it, it says it was an interaction between Mother and Teresa and Dan Rather, was the reporter. Who knows who the reporter was? But I did find the, the little interaction. The reporter said to her, when you pray, what do you say to God? She said, I don't say anything. I listen. And he said, okay, when God speaks to you, what does he say? She said, he doesn't say anything. He listens. And if you can't understand that, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> Thich Han often um, referred to a Zen Buddhist chant in his tradition. This is shared often as another one of those. From the first time I read this, it landed and stayed. It's the same thing. The one who bows and the one who is bowed to are both by nature empty. Therefore,
1: communication between us is inexpressibly perfect. probably my favorite book of Thich Nhat Hans and he wrote
0: many and I've read a number of them but this is the one I always go back to more than any of the others is the energy of prayer i don't know if you know that book beautiful beautiful book and in it he's really asking the question what are we doing when we pray if we don't believe in a god that grants special wishes only to chosen
1: special few. If we don't believe in that, what are we doing when we pray?
0: So for me, this kind of prayer is obviously not just devotion, but it is communion. It is that attunement. And the question is, how does that relate to our mindfulness It's one of the reasons that brought me to mindfulness practice in the first place. When I was growing up, and for a number of years until I really got into mindfulness practice, the only way, the only place I could reliably access that sense of communion, of attunement in that way was being out in the woods. I had to be on the trail. I had to be hiking, I had to be backpacking, I had to be camping anything that got me into the woods that was my refuge and it was really hard for me to find that elsewhere and so like the stress would build up and I'd have to get to the woods to kind of find some release um, relief of that there were obviously places where I could stumble into it Maybe it was a poem. I remember distinctly the first time I ever—the first poem of Mary Oliver's I ever read was "Wild Geese," and pretty much the day I first read it, I memorized it um, because it it spoke to me in that way. An interaction, their interaction with the patient. Um, I can like I can still feel the tenor of some of those conversations with people who. Um, were my elders who were my teachers in ways that just being in conversation with them was by nature sacred. It's important that we know where these natural access points are for us. That's really useful. So, you know, consider where is that for you? Are you somebody that it's going to the woods People find it in lots of places. For some people, it's in deep, true lovemaking. For some people, it's in a very moving, a movie that just goes straight to speaking to your heart. For some people, it's in a way that the body kind of naturally sings the first time you hold your child. So just like, what are those moments where you, you know that palpable sense of feeling, an attunement with something that is larger than just
1: what's held within this skin? And then,
0: how do we build on those natural access points using our mindfulness practice so that we don't have to run off to the woods every time we get stressed, but we can drop into it in the grocery store, standing among the cans of beans and instant mashed potatoes under the fluorescent lights on a crowded Sunday before the football game and everyone's trying to get their stuff and go to the game. Like, what's it like to stand right there in that moment
1: and have cultivated a practice enough, but that too is just sacred. It's another poem, Mary
0: Oliver obviously speaks deeply to me. There's another poem of hers, um, The River Clarion. It's a long poem. There's one piece of it that I come to again and again and again. Of course, for each of us, there is this daily
1: life. Let us live it gesture by gesture. When we cut the ripe melon, should we not give it
0: thanks? And should we not thank the knife also,
1: we do not live in a simple world. So, when we sit
0: and the mind is distracted and crazy, and the energy in the body feels like it might explode if I don't get that. I crave right now.
1: (laughs) How does this
0: understanding of prayer as attunement deepen our mindfulness practice? Integrate in,
1: be fundamental to breathing this breath. This one. Right now, so I really invite you to consider
0: words such as prayer, spirituality, devotion, sacredness. Where do these words have
1: valid hang ups? blocks, and where if these words were going to be useful for you,
0: is that opening, is that palpable sense
1: of what it means to just listen and be heard. And how does mindfulness practice actually offer
0: us means of cultivation? Of not needing to build up the stress and run to the woods, but
1: actually find refuge in the moment, wherever I am instead. So why don't we just pause there for a minute? The one who bows and the one who
0: is bowed to are both by nature empty. Therefore, communication between us is
1: inexpressibly perfect. Thank you.